0: Welcome to Lazarus Theatre Company's new podcast, Spotlight On, where we turn the spotlight on to reveal the people behind the scenes, those who make Lazarus work, the creatives, the artists, the process, the creation. Hello, I'm Ricky Dukes, Artistic Director of Lazarus Theatre Company.
1: And I'm Gavin Harrington, Odidra, Producer of Lazarus Theatre Company. Can't even say my name
0: good we've covered that bit so that's good <laughs> a flying star it's the first one for a while isn't it? we had a little break well I say a little break we didn't really we were in the middle of R&D which was a nice intense week of um research and development I keep getting asked by people what's R&D mean I was like oh am I you know is it really that much of a 90s thing I thought we still knew what R&D was but people keep going what's this R&D you're talking what show is this
1: yeah, I, I every time I say r and I have to explain uh, that. And so I've started saying just workshop. I think people understand workshop. R&D, for me, is a bit longer. It's a bit kind of more in, in depth. But yeah, workshop is, is what what people have been understanding. So that's
0: what I've started. I think it sort doing. of feels a bit 90s, doesn't it? Some sort of some people kind of, oh, God, what, what is that? You know, what play is that? And I kept thinking, well, it could be, it could be Romeo and Deirdre, uh, <laughs> a, a modern spin on there. Uh, although I'm not sure Deirdre is a very modern name anyway today we're joined by lazarus associate and our queen of the fairies ingville lagu Ingvild played hippolyta and titania in our 2018 production of a midsummer night's dream at the greenwich theater and participated in workshops readings and our monthly lazarus book club Ingrid's screen credits include Raised by Wolves directed by Ridley Scott and Luke Scott and she's played Circe in The Tempest for CBBEs everyone. Ingrid, welcome to Spotlight on. Thank you very
2: much. Thank you.
0: Uh, so first of all, how are you? How have you been keeping creative during these many lockdowns?
2: Um um by just doing, I think um I've been keeping myself busy with workshops and stuff over Zoom, especially um, after Christmas. Um, And last year was a lot of writing. Um, And I think that is kind of, for me, the nicest way to kind of stay creative when you can't go out and do things or meet people. Um, Even though, I mean, I don't know if there's any plan with what I've been writing, like whether it's gonna be a film or anything, it's more just, I don't know, emptying your heads of ideas and putting stuff on paper and just yeah, imagining things, letting that kind of tick over, that creativity. But um, but yeah, just trying to do loads of different things, really. I guess. But I think we yeah, not putting too much pressure on it either during uh, during lockdown uh, lockdown times.
0: Yeah, interesting. Actually, a couple of people have we've spoken to have um, talked about writing and oh what, and then of course the impulse, the impulses. What you're writing, like it's got to be a product. Really noticed during, uh, I think it was the first or the second lockdown. It just felt very—you um, always have to be creating a product, and actually, part of our year of exploration thing was to sort of go, what if we, fo- what if we just focused on the process a bit more? What if we just actually moved our heads away from? the product thing, and actually, do you know what? I think a lot of people found that quite challenging because we're always used to gearing up to opening night or first preview, or we're always geared up for the performance bit, the product bit. So actually, uh, you know, I I do certainly know uh, creatives who found just writing for writing's sake or uh, reading for reading's sake. You know, when, when someone says, oh, I'm reading this play, oh, are you thinking of doing it? No, I'm just reading. Um, it's a bit of a different mindset, really. Is it a bit therapeutic as well, just sort of getting stuff out?
2: For sure. I think, excuse me, I think uh, absolutely. And for me, when I started writing, that was the first thing that was kind of like, a, oh, well, my plan is not because in drama school, it's very much that kind of like, create your own work and also afterwards. And you want to kind of like, right, I'm going to write this short film for all of us and it's going to go to festivals and we're going to be famous and like straight out of, that's the kind of idea you might have but when I started then writing a little bit after drama school it was more like a oh there's no plan with this exactly like we were talking about there's no plan it's literally just because I want to sit down and be like what's going on in my head right now what what do I see what do I think about and it's it's nice nice as well because it's exactly that when you sit down have no plan you kind of don't follow a genre or a style or You don't feel like there are any limits or boundaries to what you have to sit and write and I think that is what's been nice because all last year kind of like from when the lockdown started until pretty much in the autumn i just been writing consistently so without having that as a plan and without trying to say like every day write a little bit I just did because I wanted to and then looking back at the things I wrote was just kind of like oh I don't know even what kind of genre or style this would be like are we talking film could this be stage could is it more like a collection of short stories or essays it's kind of like just interesting looking back and thinking what is this as well but it's all truthful and it's all giving me some sort of feeling i can see images or whatever and it's yeah it's quite nice so absolutely in a way long way of answering the question i guess but it's nice in the inner therapeutic way as well i think for sure we must
0: remember this as things start to return. We must remember that, you know, and I'm sure people outside the industry would think, oh, how indulgent, or, you know, what are you talking about, you know? And where, I think for us, it's the blur of work is quite tricky. You know, you, the, the, there was once I had a, a chat with my my mum and she all oh, what have you been doing today? Oh, I've just been working on a design for something. And essentially, all afternoon, I've just been playing with bits of foam board in a set model. And of course, anyone watching that would go, What are you doing? <laughs> You're <laughs> spending all this time with bits of foam board and models but actually it kind of is work because you're trying to work out how this production might look and feel and the movement of it all. But at the same time, you're playing with bits of foam board and it's very childish. Like you're playing with a little model theater like a Lego set when I was a kid or something. And so it becomes quite hard to justify, but I think sometimes you sort of have to just stand your ground and justify it. This is this is work actually, because I am working this through, but we also need to keep time and be aware of the time of when we do just need to check in with ourselves, Um, you know, in this scramble for reopening and and getting stuff ready to go, let's not forget that we do sometimes just need those afternoons off in inverted commas, where we might just go and write something, read something, do something. It is part of our thing. Yeah,
2: and I I think as well, because I feel like when we've been like in the rehearsal room and stuff like that, for example, I, I feel like that idea of let's just play, like let's just, what's going on here? But also you can't, well, you can, obviously, I'm not going to put those rules on anyone, but it's sometimes it's nice to go, today I'm just going to play. Let's, I want to just paint and do stuff like that. But also not kind of deciding it, if you know what I mean. It just has to come organically. If you don't let there be any room for it, and if you think that every time when you sit down, I'm going to write now and I'm going to write a script, it's just you're taking away that spontaneity in a way. And I think that is what's gonna. If that doesn't end up becoming the next best-selling book or whatever, that will definitely give you something in a creative prospect. Maybe two day, years, two years down the line, but just by keeping that kind of being impulse, but impulsive. Sorry, being impulsive with your creative kind of yeah work. It's just I think that is a important thing.
0: Fair sure. and playful. I don't know about you yeah. as a kid, but I was always told to grow up. You know, <laughs> I mean, maybe at the age of 30, one has to take sort of, sort of <laughs> responsibility. But yeah, I always remember as a, as a kid, sort of, you know, this isn't me saying my mom's a terrible person. It's just actually part of childhood I Was like, oh, grow up, stop being silly. And actually, sometimes, you know, I'm doing a lot of work with young and emerging artists uh, doing drama training in various guises. Um, and one thing I have to remind them is don't grow up. Please don't grow up. You've got to keep the playfulness and the and the energy of this thing, the spirit of investigation. Um, just just notice something in actors. Sometimes, you know, we have to really work hard to extend our uh, vocal range. But actually, children never do. You know, um, they, they're using all of their range, all of their faculties, all of their thing. So so that's my message of the day. Don't grow up everyone, <laughs>
2: don't, grow up. <laughs> don't
0: grow up. So as we emerge from the COVID restrictions, which of course has just been announced, we're recording this on the 11th of May. So yesterday we uh, heard from our great leader um, that um, from next week, uh, we're into the next stage of the roadmap. So things are looking good for June, the end of June, that we might be able to have full productions without social distancing, et cetera. Um, so as we're em- emerging from these COVID uh, restrictions, what are you looking forward to most, artistic and otherwise?
2: um isn't it weird that how that seems like a daunting question now like before it would be like oh what do you like what do you want to do and now it's just like a coming out of a grotto and you can kind of feel the sun in your eyes but I think I just I'm looking forward to it all but I feel like like being around people again I think that is the main thing just the kind of sense of And freedom as well. I'm I'm, I'm being careful with that word because we're still very free compared to other people in the world um, for a lot of reasons. But it's, um, I think that freedom to go, oh, should we just pop into that pub? Oh, should we check out if there's a play? Oh, we're walking past the gallery. Should we just kind of, that you can be a bit more impulsive with things. You don't have to plan your day, you know, days ahead and there aren't, just not that many restrictions anymore will feel nice i think just mentally i don't think i'll necessarily be super busy every single day but just knowing that oh i can book, you know play <laughs> if i want to i don't have to see if it's going to be possible or maybe it's going to be cancelled like i think all of that is going to be fantastic um and of course also travelling um being able to do that um with a bit more ease, like I I think which is fine. It is how it is. But I had to kind of just put away my whole idea of going back and visiting family this year, even though it's in Norway. And I'm so used to being able to like, OK, that's two hours. Even if my agent calls me whilst I'm over there for a week and says, you have to come back, there's a job. I can do that the next day. Like, this is not an issue. If I go now, that's 20 days cutting myself out of everything. And it's just, yeah, it's very, very difficult like that something that used to be so easy is not anymore but yeah so i think it's just that kind of like the the opportunities will be there like less restrictions i guess um <laughs> like most people probably feel
0: yeah i i was just thinking the thing i grabbed onto there was the sponta- spontaneity being yeah. spontaneous and actually maybe that's the thing about the arts and culture um mm. that we could really celebrate Uh, Actually, you can just come into a gallery when you're feeling that in talking about writing or being creative. It's it's and and actually feels to me that London really could use that as a as a, I don't know, a milestone, a kind of um, a flag, if you like, of going, you Mm -hmm. can be spontaneous. Uh, and when you fe- when you feel, you don't have to book the day at the gallery, when you feel like you want to go and do that or you want to go and experience this or music or dance or theatre or whatever. Yeah, the spontaneity, the, the spark that happens in an auditorium or in a gallery or a, you know, and come I, and experience that.
2: Yeah, and like I moved to, moved into London in end of 2019. So until then I'd been going in and out from um, Guildford and I felt like I was even more in London Kind of city centre then, then I was actually able to, you know, I wasn't able to be that spontaneous whilst I've actually been living here, you know, and I've been like, oh, I'm on the underground network, it's going to be great, and there's nowhere to go, you know, because we've been, most of this time, it's been a lockdown. So I think I'm also really looking forward to kind of having London that close by, um, and actually getting to enjoy it a bit kind of cool, it's beautiful, but at the top of my street, <laughs> perfect skyline of London Eye, the Shard, there you go, every single building, I'm just like, one day, very soon, <laughs> I'll be there every day, it's all good. <laughs> yeah,
0: at the moment it feels maybe a bit like the Lion King, you know, when when uh, Mufasa <laughs> turns to Simba and says, that's the elephant graveyard, you can't go there, you know, <laughs> oh. one day the clouds will move and we'll be able to go again. Um, Yeah, and i just thinking outside of London as well, maybe that's something about cultural um, organisations, spaces, artists, let's let's play the spontaneity. I think one of the things that's been a bit um, exhausting, I say a bit, it's been completely exhausting over the last year is trying to plan for every scenario and actually maybe part of the planning should be spontaneous actually, we will do this, we will do that. Whereas sometimes we sit in meetings where we go, oh, well, there's this and there's that. And there's, you know, sometimes maybe we become a bit too careful. And actually, maybe sometimes as, I mean, it's easy to say this, but maybe as artists, we sort of have to have a bit of spontaneity. And go, just do it. Let's just do it. Let's just have a go. Let's just try something. Um, and um, maybe that could be the way to get people back and, and, share, and share with people what they've been missing. Because we've been having creativity and culture in the form of Netflix or, you know, on the telly but that's no substitute than being in the space around the space immersed in it. Part of it, you know, um, that's why I sort of feel like we just, maybe that, maybe that's the creative explosion we need to have. Let's have a big government injection of money to just be spontaneous and just a festival of Britain across the the whole of the UK. Actually let's not have a festival of Britain. Let's have a festival, the whole blumming thing of everybody. And we just go out and do stuff, make stuff, create stuff, join with each other. feels to me like we need a big, um, well, we, we can start hugging, I think, from Monday, can't we? We sort of just need a big creative hug. Um, and that hug, you know, sometimes you know, I, I certainly know people who've been saying, oh, you know, we need lots of cheery stuff. Don't do any of that tragedy stuff. And actually part of me sort of goes, I think there's people out there who just need a big cry as well with other people. We just need to feel. Yeah. And it might not be laughter. It might not be tears, but let's just feel something. So that's my... Um, Gavin, I basically just created our mission statement for the last 12 months, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how these things happen. Yeah, blimey. Well, anyway, let's find out a bit more about you, then, Ingerville. So Spotlight On is the, the rare chance to lift the metaphorical curtain, if you like, uh, and focus the Spotlight on those bit people behind the scenes, the bits and bobs that happen. How do you build this thing? And delve a bit deeper uh, below the per- performance surface. And one thing I get asked quite a lot, actually, is about how actors form character, which I'm always a bit shuddery about the word character, as you know, from a process, but um, and how we form an ensemble. Um, And people want to know about the acting process. And whenever I talk to actors, sometimes they go, oh, what is that process? Um, What is that thing? So we might delve into a bit of that. But first off, how did you get into acting?
2: Mm. Um, When I was very young, um, uh, I think right at the beginning in primary school, that's kind of like when I started first with after school uh, drama classes and stuff. But my mum, she was uh, a drama teacher. So I would be a part of her acting classes, like after school stuff. And um, from, yeah, maybe like eight years old, 10 years old, and then just been doing that. So it's, and even if I wasn't in actual classes, it was always kind of like we're playing around, like at home. Like my mum is kind of, the very creative person in our family and that's definitely kind of she's definitely given that to all all of my sisters and myself so it would always be like dancing singing and games and you know having fun you know dressing up like a, a bit of a side note but like i just remember all our like birthday parties as a kid as kids that was full on like everyone's gonna dress up. There's like a whole theme and there's mm-hmm. activities and we're just going out in the garden and there's like loads of stuff, you know. So it's always that type of creativity. But yeah, from like a very early, early stage, it was just always around me, I think, in a way. And so really so different. actually
0: you were growing up in a, a in a, a world that didn't keep telling you to grow up, kept telling you to play. No maybe at that time. for
2: sure. For sure. And I mean definitely keep playing and she's still like that and 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 i think that with a very nice like fine line of you know being serious like taking school work seriously like that's always been a thing as well but creativity 100 percent. there's always there was always something going on in our house like music wise someone's playing piano someone's playing a game whatever you know so i think that is definitely it's definitely a nice thing. I think it's almost like a, a thing that I did. I, I don't really think about because I'm so used to it. It kind of just like happens, if you know what I mean. But yeah, no, so but, yeah. Uh, and anyway how on.
0: did that then, Um. how did that transpire to when you actually went, actually, you no, know, I think I want to do this as a career and I need to go and train or, or mm. how, how did all that happen?
2: So it's always been a thing that I've enjoyed doing but I also I went through so many things of mm-hmm. wanting like so many things I was like oh actually I want to do that oh actually I want to do this like I've never played saxophone I never played xylophone but I was kind of like those two instruments I'm going to do that professionally because I saw someone on tv playing it and it was cool and I was 14 so it's not that endearing so I like, just <laughs> a bit silly, you know and be like, that's what I'm going to do <laughs> but um but yeah I think it's almost like I already always knew but I just um Hadn't said it out loud in a way. So, when I said it to myself, kind of like in um, what would it be, middle school? And um, when I said that, kind of like, yeah, I think that is what I want to do professionally. And I was like, yeah, but that makes sense. You, you always knew that. You always knew that. You just maybe didn't declare it to yourself, but that was, you've been <laughs> working up until this moment. And it's also because we in upper secondary school, I'm just trying to find the equivalent in the Norwegian school Mm. system. Mm. I think it's upper secondary school and you kind of pick a specializing like field. And I was like, drama, that's what I'm gonna do. Um, So yeah, and at that point I knew that I wanted to go to England as well. Well, I knew that in middle school, but uh, it was quite clear in my head, quite, yeah, from maybe like teenage years for sure. so so
0: refreshing that you got that kind of clarity at that relatively young age like yes that's that's what i'm gonna i'm doing england doing drama (laughs) yeah
2: yeah so i guess (laughs) in one way that like being told not to grow up but still it's kind of like this is what i'm doing here's my 10-year plan (laughs) although maybe not that kind of crazy but you know it was just it just made sense i think it's more that like oh yeah that makes sense rather than i don't know how exactly But I'm going to do it because that just makes sense to me.
0: So for listeners, so you were born and you grew up in Norway. And then was the move here for drama school?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came in 2014 and that was, uh, yeah, for drama school.
0: And plunged into the world of Guildford acting. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh
0: yeah <laughs> um this is a really uh kind of question but I think people do you know I certainly get asked about it a lot but this go back to the process thing or approach you know so do you have a process would you say have you got some sort of approach to a role or a production does that change from play to play would you say mm. there's anything in that or do you just turn
2: up well yeah, I just I just Rock improvise on. everything I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go. A little bit hungover all the time. <laughs> Sunglasses and cool. Um, uh, <laughs> no. Um yeah, definitely it changes because every production and every work is different. So I I think yeah, there's there's that overarching kind of like thing that is important to me. And it's just I need to understand what's going on. This needs to make sense me otherwise I can't make it make sense to the audience or my fellow cast members or anyone. So that is the main thing. I need to this needs to make sense. Even if it is a fairy queen, you know, having sexual relations with a donkey. This I just need to understand what's going on. We've all been <laughs> um, <yeah>. <laughs> exactly <laughs> no so it's um it's that and how how that happens that's where it's different, you know. I think if I were to do a historical play um, American history just because I'm not very good at that I would definitely sit down and read more history than I would do if it's maybe something modern you know just kind of makes sense to me like that um but yeah it just needs to make sense
0: yeah interestingly I think sometimes um actually there's um a friend of mine who's not in the arts at all Actually, we were sort of just chatting on a call once and said, I've got a bit of a weird question for you. And I said, oh, go on. And I thought, oh, here we go. And, um, and, they, and they said, what actually does a director actually do? What do you actually do in rehearsals? And I said, well, we do this. No, 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 no. But what do you actually do? What do you actually literally, I said, well, if I told you, you probably wouldn't believe me, but it's not sort of just rehearsing. I mean, I'm sure some people do rehearse with just rehearse the scenes. Day one is the first scene. Uh, where do the actors come in from? Where do the characters leave? Those sorts of things. But actually with our process, I would say 50%, if not more of the actual day to day stuff is making sense of it is exploring it, playing it, talking it, doing it, researching it, playing. And by research, we don't, you know, we we don't go into hot seating or backstories or any sort of that kind of psychological stuff. Uh, I, I tend to find that quite unuseful, um, particularly with Shakespeare, but just just playing, you know, some of that sat down, isn't it? Just working out what the word means, get a glossary out. And we always in our, in our rehearsal room have a dictionary corner, you know, so what does that word mean and what's the context of it? But it's about us as a company kind of just first and foremost understanding what this thing is or what we think we think this is as a company and so very often in our processes of course it's not until the last week of a three-week rehearsal process you actually start staging anything proper because we've had to spend the 10 days it's a bit ludicrous when you think about it you only have 10 days to understand this whole thing and and of course actors and you know I I, I really noticed that when you did dream that you're very diligent, and you could. I always think you can look over a, an actor's script and know if they've done any work or not. You know, and you can look over. I mean, I don't. You know, the listeners are thinking I'm a bit like a primary school where everyone brings with their book to show me. It's not that. You know, I don't mark anyone's script, but you just see them around the rehearsal room, and of course, everyone highlights the text because that's something apparently we have to do. um <laughs> Everyone has to get the highlighters out. But it's so interesting seeing people's notes and how they sort of break it down in their process, I suppose. But yeah, and then and then and then we play. We're trying to work it out. Work it out and then we can start putting it together to think about how it might might work. But um, yeah, always fascinates me. It fascinates me how many times actors say, oh, I don't know, I don't think there is one, but there's got to be one because we do it. Actually, I know loads of directors who do that. I mean, you know, maybe I'm talking out of turn here, but Declan Donnellan refuses that there's any process, but it's just done three podcast series talking about process, but it's not process, but it's, and I wonder whether that's something about as artists, we like to be free to respond to whatever we've got. So we don't want to process but at the same time,
2: but I guess you can just look at the process being from. I mean, for example, from you put the have the script in hand until you're doing it on stage. There's something happening in that time, some process, even if it's reading it and learning it. Like that is that could also be a part of your process. So whether it's like a process and it's point one, point two, point three, or if it's just it's the process you're gonna. Retain the information that you're reading, you have some feelings, and then you're going to try and show it to an audience. Now, we don't want to make this sound too easy, and it's like, please don't pay <laughs> me for this. You know, like, please don't. That's not all I do. It's really extensive research. Isn't no, it? Yeah, I mean, isn't it funny, is funny
0: when you um see often tele actors go on, a, you know, breakfast telly. To, to promote a show, and one of the first questions always asked by the presenter is, "Oh, and what research did you do?" And I love it when actors turn around and go, "Well, not didn't really. It's all in the script. Like the writers done mm-hmm, all of that. Mm-hmm. I just have to take adjust in inverted commas. I'm taking mm-hmm. what the writers given us. If it's great writing, it's all there. Whereas sometimes you do hear, you know, well, then I went to this clinic and I spoke to these people and I did the bit of this and I and I sort of think actually." sometimes I think we get a bit bogged down in that but it's interesting to note that the breakfast telly presenters not all of them of course actually don't really know anything about the acting stuff so they just default to oh well you must do lots of research you know your your character is a cab driver did you spend six months immersed in cab driving no
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's just but I think and I think that's the key thing and we I think we should be um Braver to go. Oh, what do I need? Like, what's needed for me in order for me to do this job to the best of my capability? You know, Mm. it's not about like, oh, well, uh, that actor worked as a cab driver for two years, so I have to do that as well in preparation for this. It's like, no, actually, what would benefit you the most? Like, it's nice doing a group, like when you're doing an ensemble work. It's nice doing a group for warm up to maybe get into the same world. But also, do the things that work for you. Someone needs to do. A special trills or whatever, like you. It's not. We don't have to compare each other, like ourselves, to each other so much. I think it's just more like, what do I have to do? What do? Oh, we're doing something on the Cold War. If it's a TV series, and like you, I just think I was thinking about that when you mentioned that earlier. When actors say, well, actually, the writer has done the research. You know, I don't necessarily have to read loads. I would probably, in that situation, if I'm like, oh, I don't actually know what's being talked about here if it's something that happened in a different country say for example in the cold war uh, like during the cold war or something I would, I would read up on it just so i can convey the you know the gravity of the line or the seriousness of the like the tone of the piece that's what i would then do um but not because i think the director would be like "Inbuilt, so can you show me your essay that you've written on your research but it's otherwise i won't be able to say it properly
0: i think sometimes though these news readers expect you to say well i lived in a cold war bunker for six months mm-hmm. and i i know what it is to live in this you know do you know what I, mean? I think that's probably yeah. the answer they want <laughs> yeah. exactly
2: make it for you be geicy and dramatic and i mean yeah. like jeez like if it's if my research is yes i had to stay at this bar for like two weeks and it's just like maybe i'll do that then. but <laughs> it's, it is you know I, I mean it's it would be fun though like I'm, i mean if something like the revenant you know I wouldn't go against like right let's do like a wildlife trip for two weeks just to kind of really feel what is being really cold you know like mm, it's mm, you can imagine it and try and portray it but you don't know until well, you know
0: well look, also I, th- I sort of think the research that Tatani would have to do would probably get her arrested um you know <laughs> yeah. down, down Mudshoot city farm um, <laughs> we- we'd have to call we'd have to get the get police in uh, what do you look for in a project what what's what's your thing is that is this what what sparks you about it? if you see a casting call for something or if a director says oh we're doing this what what um can you notice any patterns or do you do you notice what it is that you go oh yes I'd like to do a bit of that please or or likewise what puts you off
2: mm, well uh, when I get things through uh, from my agent, it's either I mean then it tends to be a lot of it's it's a shame because you don't really want to say like oh it's the character that I'm given that gives me a feel of I want to do this because it's of course about the project but in those situations when you're not really told anything about the project you're just given a few lines of the character and that's why I was thinking I was just like well actually that's how I'm introduced to a lot of projects in the beginning you know so that is Unfortunately, in a way, because you would love to kind of see the whole uh, like i don't know the idea for the project and go, "Oh, this sounds interesting but um I think it would be um it could be anything if I'm being honest, it could be anything, it could be the theme, it could be the style, the genre, um but I think if we're then thinking characters just a bit of substance to it, but I think with um think as I see, if it's, if people are flawed or if there are contrasts uh, in a character, you know, maybe not likable straight away or scrap that, super strong women, just like, this is a warrior queen. And I'm like, I'm already, I'm going to continue <laughs> reading this. Like, just because yes, let's, fuck, oops, <laughs> let's flip and show me the, uh, the strong, strong, powerful characters that are out there. And uh, so that will, as soon as kind of that is in a description of, of like a, she is a leader, I'm like, keep going, keep <laughs> going with it, you know?
0: So okay. I guess
2: that would be that. But um, yeah, it could be anything. I, I, I guess I don't really have, because I was gonna say, oh, maybe it's more drama things. But actually, if it's a comedy, and I see that and I keep reading. I'm like, oh, that sounds really interesting. So it could be could be anything, I guess.
0: So now we know when we want Ingvild, and of course we want Ingvild to be in everything, but when we <laughs> want for the next thing, we're going to start the line with, she is a warrior, she is a
2: leader. <laughs> i like, take my money. I'll her name, hate to do her
0: name is Ophelia. Or, you know, whatever <laughs> but, it might be.
2: <laughs> fun fact, and maybe, well, I have to just say, so Ingvild, um, that is a North, Uh, Norse like mythology name, and anyone called Ingvild, Ingrid, Ingval, Ingolf, they are all warriors for the god of life, Ing. So Ingvild is your, you know, a warrior for the god of life. So I think (laughs) your mum got it right again.
0: Your (laughs) mum got it down to a T. That's your casting profile forever. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, so we collaborated on Midsummer Night's Dream back in 2018, where, as I said earlier, we play you played both uh, Hippolyta and Titania. Tell us what can you remember of that time. I know it it might feel like a, <laughs> a lifetime ago, um, but what do you remember of that uh, production and that time?
2: Um, it was fun, really exciting, um, tough, dense. I'm just saying words now. I think, mm. but um, <laughs> but no, it was. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought we had, a, like, a good group as well, good ensemble. And it was nice just kind of exploring things, even the days when we'd do stuff, work on one thing all day and then go, yeah, we're going to do something else tomorrow. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's fine, you know? It's just exploring. And um, it was also uh, lovely uh, lovely for me because that was the first stage. Um, big like stage production that I did um, after drama school. So I'd done the as series in The Tempest, but it was like slightly different, a smaller both in size and, you know, individuals, like smaller audience. Um and and but it was televised as well. So it was kind of like a different way we did it on stage, but it was cameras around, but with Lazarus with the uh, Midsummer Night Dream, that was kind of like the first show doing a run and all of that was exciting as well you know um so yeah no it was just uh exciting I think I was very very energized for the whole thing and it was fun playing around you know it's, it was colorful um creative yeah imaginative it was just yeah one of those projects where it was like oh we can just play and create and try things, explore. And it, it's a strange play in that
0: I think, you know, I, I always sort of um, have to remind myself that it's a play that gets done in very quaint uh, afternoon garden type theater where everyone sits around with their tea and cucumber sandwiches or champagne or something going, ha 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 ha, isn't it funny? But I sort of find it one of his most, um, one of Shakespeare's most, most extreme, most strange, most weird, most bonkers, and possibly one of the darker plays. In that, I mean, maybe that's just something that I look for in plays anyway, but there's something really, I mean, it's just mental. It's just mental. And I think sometimes with Shakespeare, I wonder if if you've got any thoughts on this. Sometimes the big plays, the ones that we all feel that we know, sometimes it comes with a lot of baggage that actually in rehearsal, you have to sort of try and work out, is this baggage or is this really there you know with a play like Macbeth, people go oh i love that one it's the one with the witches in and actually when you sort of start breaking it down you realize they're only in two or three scenes and i think the same with midsummer night's dream oh it's the one with all the fairies and the donkey and you sort of go well yeah the donkey the ass does feature fairly heavily but the fairies are just sort of around actually is that really what the play's about is that really you know i wonder where that sort of stuff comes from um you know when you're when you're doing a, a relatively famous title
2: um well it's for sure i think it's uh even more fun kind of busting those uh like myths that you might have about a place because it's just like oh i just know that so well don't i because it's famous and then you start working on it it's like oh there's a lot of there's a lot of other stuff in here as well isn't there um and i think it like exactly like you're saying the kind of the amount of darkness that is that you can because it's also the kind of like you can be a way of looking at things as well but and we could have chosen to go way darker i think it's like these young kids are just like on a trip in a forest and that in itself is either like a oh wow crazy summer summer experience if you look at it that way or just wow that must be the most terrifying thing and maybe they never recover psychologically from this you know i think it could, it just depends on how you look at it. So it's just, it's a fun one to delve into, but I think that's with any play, and especially Shakespeare's like reading it is one thing, watching it is one thing and working on it is a completely other thing as well.
0: I think that's also the tricky thing sometimes, isn't it? When, when you're doing a, a comedy inverted commas, actually sometimes we forget that actually we might be, the. it's a comedy for the audience. So it might not be a comedy for you as an actor. And I certainly remember that our four lovers, You know, actually sort of understanding as we went through rehearsal and any performance, the thing that makes the audience laugh is actually they're having a terrible time and, and actually playing the four lovers, uh, maybe other roles in the play, um, actually it's not fun because you're having fun on stage necessarily. It's funny because you're actually having a horrendous, you're in a tra- like their journey is tragic. Um, you know, they think that one of them wakes up and thinks the husband, the boyfriend's been abducted. And then this is happening with their, this one loves the other one, the other one hates the other. Some of the things they say to each other, just awful. But I think that's that's it. Is it we we laugh at cruelty? And I think Shakespeare's sort of tapping into that. Um, I'm not selling a very positive Midsummer Night's Dream. If anyone's listening, <laughs> am I? If anyone's, oh, I'll get Ricky into direct the Yeah, it's and that's what makes me always laugh that it's this play that we do doing parks and isn't it funny? But you've got all sorts of extreme and and I'm just thinking actually, of course, Titania has this lovely romp scene with the donkey and we we did have fun playing with this weird uh partnering and of course you were playing at tanya opposite david clayton who was playing bottom and david at that time was on his on a run of shakespeare fools for us wasn't he bless him um what can you remember of that relationship those scenes i certainly remember one scene where we were trying the force feeding stuff um <laughs> it's where the listeners going what um yeah this this sort of weird cruelty thing i wonder what you remembered of that relationship and that and working with david on that
2: um, I think it, oh well, working on it. That's uh, that was fun, and like also just trying out things in the rehearsal room. Like I'm trying to think of what we were kind of going like going for because we would sometimes be like, oh, actually, could this scene be a bit? Is it funny or is it extremely horrendous? Like why is she feeding him? Is it out of love? Is it to keep him there? Is it a bit sinister? Like what is this? you know um actually and I think it's just then oh actually maybe if we think of it she is not just she loves him so much that it becomes that kind of possessive your mind you're not going anywhere type of feeling and we're like let's try that today and then that will come out and be executed in a very different way if you know what I mean as in like on stage that might look and feel different than the next day even though it's still the same script And everything so it was just fun trying trying different things but i think of course like the the main shock factor like he's wearing a donkey head is (laughs) what people are going to pick up on anyways you know and especially maybe for kids and stuff and that's wow you know it's gonna i think it's gonna get a laugh just because it's kind of like oh wow you know if you haven't heard like seen it before or if you have and you're just waiting for you know for that it's a such a quite a famous image, I think. But um, it's nice when then delving into this scene, it's like, okay, we're beyond like, we're past this, the donkey head being there. Great. What is actually going on? Like, how messed up is this? Actually, let's see what what we're doing with this That is quite fun. You know, I was
0: working with a young actor the other day in their class and was talking, you know, and then so this is what happens and Tatania does this. And, and someone else in the class says, say what? What what's going on? And actually, it was brilliant. I was like, if I could bottle that, Because actually sometimes, so many times at theater, we sort of just go, oh yeah, then she she has this (laughs) relationship with a donkey. And you go, no, 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 that's bonkers. That's absolutely mental, you know? And of course she's been drugged by her husband. So you go, oh my God, what? <laughs> this is what I sort of think. Of. I think a lot of production sort of miss the thing. It's just just absolutely crazy. Do you remember that bit we tried? So in rehearsal, we played this idea, didn't we? That, that what was making him fat was because she keeps, Tatani keeps having this text about, we'll fetch you oats and we'll fetch you this. And, you know, and he goes, oh, well, it's very good hay. So the idea came that he was being force fed. And do you remember we tried the thing where she inserted a tube and she shoved down some chocolate cake? But it never got a laugh. And I mm-hmm. and I I mean I found it hilarious, but um, and of course you realise in previews, oh actually this is one step too dark for them. So remember we just changed it in one preview where she just stuffed loads of confetti down, and they rolled around laughing. And I thought that was really interesting listening to what our audience is up for. So when she was sort of shoving down a pipe this sort of big chocolate cake, people are kind of oh gosh this is a bit sinister. But as soon as she started doing confetti. Everyone sort of went,
2: oh. And I think also, as as simple as like, it didn't read because it maybe they didn't see what it was. You know, like it it was a chocolate muffin and that far away (laughs) is just a brown lump. And then people are like, wait, no, is she actually putting poo? Like it could have been that, you know, like, yeah. So if you, and I think it's that as well, like (laughs) if something isn't clear, because that's how I find things, like if things aren't clear on stage, it doesn't have to make a hundred percent sense, but I need to just have some sort of understanding. So if I'm sitting there thinking, "Wait, what was it? She was holding. It mm. seems significant. They bothered to have her holding it. What? What was it? And then all of a sudden, I've missed ten seconds of the play, and it's just mm. I didn't even laugh, and it, it just takes me out of it because then I'm sitting there thinking, "Wait, was that brown apple? Was that poop? Was that dirt? Was that chocolate? <laughs> what, what, what was that? You know? Yeah. And I think with confetti, that was already a thing there. And we've even, you don't really then sit, me you do, but you wouldn't then say, what, paper? That doesn't make any sense because it's just like, it's that world, mm. I'm in, we get it. And then picking just that up, like we're using that, it's just, I think it's just read better, really.
0: There was a, a definitely an audience member who thought, you know, we said, um, and this is where I suppose I'd, I'd written on this, we all go, oh gosh, that's very sinister, was their mm. sort of thing. And so sinister and menace for them was a step too far, but force feeding a confetti was, oh, that's fine. And it it was just kind of interesting listening to an audience's sort of thresholds of sinister. (laughs) uh, (laughs) But it's fascinating, (laughs) isn't it? Because in a different theatre, that might have been a completely different thing. With a different audience, that might have been a completely, you know, Mm -hmm. we could be laughing outrageously at some terrible, terrible things. But no one comes out of that forest particularly well. (laughs) You know, know, all that dream, whatever you you interpret that thing to be.
2: But like when you said earlier, like, it's her husband that drugs her and she... Uh, you know, has relations with a donkey. Um, that is horrendous if you think of that. And I think the only way how that isn't just, well, it kind of is if you really delve into it, but how we're able to go a bit like, oh, that's silly, is because that donkey would have seen him as a man. We know it's not really an animal. If he just had drugged her and made her do bestiality full on, like this is a donkey, that's how we know this animal as, that's not. Like, that's not, not, that's horrendous, you know? <laughs> and I think that would only be seen as, again, then kind of like, oh no, that's too menacing. So it's almost that kind of like a, what is fine, what is not, in a way. It's like, well, it's still a man's body, so I guess that makes it fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, it's, it's weird, like, what is a step too far, and what isn't?
0: And we must keep finding the step that's too far. Um, <laughs> that's doing it. You've d- so you've done a couple of Shakespeare's. What's the draw? What is it about Shakespeare that you sort of go, oh, yes.
2: Um, it's raw, I think. And I love working on it because, um, like I said earlier, and especially with Shakespeare, to me, it's a completely different experience working on the play, um, watching it and reading it. So when I then delve into kind of that world, like with Midsummer Night's Dream, which is there's so much to find and it will spark so many conversations, I think, even if we don't bring it into the show at the end of the day. But it's just really interesting how big that world of that play can be. Then I think. So and I just what love was, um...
0: What was your experience of, of, of Shakespeare in Norway growing up in Norway, because one thing I find sometimes uh, as Brits and, and and I mean, these are sweeping stereotypes and gen uh, you know, sort of just just general uh, comments here of listeners, but very generally with Brits and Americans, we kind of have a big sort of reverence for Shakespeare, but often I'm kind of intrigued by um, people certainly through, through Europe who might not have such reverence, or, or, or you know, they have a different relationship, I suppose, is probably a better way of putting it, uh, to Shakespeare. So was there much Shakespeare growing up in Norway, or, or, or what was that, that experience?
2: So there is Shakespeare, and I definitely know like know it, and it's a part of, you know, theatre, you know the plays and stuff like that. But it is the main thing is school, like, it's not a part of the curriculum. It's not a thing that you know of because you're doing the plays and it's not as ingrained in, um, in, yeah, in the kind of education. And I think that's the uh, main difference. Obviously he's from here and it's a different culture with it, but it, that's the main thing for me. And I actually found that quite daunting coming here because I didn't know what Iambic like, was first. I was like, where's this word they always say? when they're saying Shakespeare, and I remember, I was just asking and saying, like, sorry, I just, what's that yambic pen dumper, pen, what's, what's that? And they're like, Iambic. And some of the kids are like, hmm I'm like, this isn't funny, I just don't know. I mm. have to ask, you know? Mm, absolutely. And then it's like, oh, it's a specific way of saying it. I'm like, cool, can you just repeat this? Because I don't know any of this. And I actually have to look into that because obviously it's being translated if we still have that, I think I think we do, um, but yeah, it's just something I didn't know at all, you know, so I was quite like I found it quite daunting, as like, oh, this is a very there are way more rules to Shakespeare than I thought there were, And then, when you then start doing it, everyone's just like, "Well, now you know the rules and then tear them away, like depending on obviously what kind of production you do, but it's interesting how being presented like having these rules presented at such a late stage and feeling then even more tied to them in a way, because I I thought that was very, very important, but it kind of just flows naturally, I think. And I
0: think that's that's such a big thing, isn't it? It's about knowing the rules and the ideas, the advice, the guidance and all of that stuff, and then testing them one way I over certainly over the last year or two been thinking about theatre as an art form but it's also got a bit of science in it and of course the thing about the science is here's a hypothesis here's a theory now prove and disprove it you know, and actually thinking of a rehearsal room a little bit like a laboratory in that sense of going, here's this theory. This is what this play's baggage comes with. This is what we all think it is. Now let's test that. Let's put, this as the hypothesis. Let's test it, prove it, disprove it, and, and and sort of just, you know, really delve into it. So it's an art meeting the science of that, Um, you know, I, I think is interesting. And I wonder in in Norway, is the, the big, is it, uh, I mean, this could be a massive stereotype, right? Uh, is it all Ibsen? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, it's for sure, it's bigger. And also I I lived, um, well, where I'm from is really, really close to Oslo and it's on the fjord and everything. So it's kind of, you know, it's close to the museum, the where he lived, the National Theatre. So, and with my mum then being a part of, uh, you know, that whole world, it made it, for sure, I feel like there was way more Ibsen, um, um, an Ibsen's presence but again then in education which I think is the biggest thing that will affect uh, uh, like affect children in terms of how much they know about theatre or plays and playwrights um, and, um, is that yeah in school there's a lot of Ibsen and we would do little you know presentations doing scenes and stuff from Ibsen where kids in England would do Shakespeare so for sure um, but it's still not as Yeah, actually, I was I was gonna say I don't know if it's as heavy um, Ibsen in Norway as Shakespeare in England, but maybe it is. Maybe it is actually.
0: Yeah, I I think a big way is how it's taught. You know that the the how do people find their way in i remember in secondary school we all read the play and we had each paragraph we would just pass the play around and someone else would read
2: mm-hmm. you know, in the
0: school i grew up we didn't have enough copies of the play so you'd have to share one between three or four and then you pass it along and of course no wonder roman juliet didn't make sense at the age of 14 because i'd read one paragraph of romeo someone read something else of romeo someone and no wonder and again then no wonder teachers just whack the vhs on let's just watch um leonardo dicaprio and Claire Danes look at each other through a fish tank you know yeah. <laughs> it was that Roman Juliet was just the way of kind of getting young people in but um I'm wondering whether there's a bit more cross-pollination between drama and English literature and maybe that's something that that could do we could do a whole pack- podcast on Ibsen in fact we should shouldn't we because I'm, I'm, oh, I'm really yeah. intrigued because you know we began the exploration into the garbler before um the, the mm. lockdown prevented it and actually um I'm intrigued by this way the Brits do Ibsen and Chekhov and when I've talked to people who in Europe who do Ibsen and Chekhov, there's a completely different mindset of of how we present them. Uh, maybe as Brits present them in a kind of very gray, dreary, sort of slow kind of way. Whereas in Europe, they present them in a kind of quite energetic or uh, explosive sorts of way. So I'm sort of intrigued about that. But um, there's my hypothesis. Can we do an Ibsen mm-hmm. or a Chekhov in, in a non, it's that awful word that makes me shudder all the time, naturalism. But anyway. Um that's, that's that's a whole nother uh podcast. If you could play here, I'm gonna put you on the ropes now. If you mm. could play any role on stage, if we could cast you in anything now, ingville for next year, what would it be and why?
2: Cleopatra. She's the queen. Mm. Well, there we go. <laughs> that was it. It actually gonna... wasn't on the ropes, was it? You you already got that one. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, no, there are loads of those power ladies and Ibsen's ladies like Hedda. Nora. They're great. I also like Hippolyta from Tis Pity. Um, Just, you know, really, really fierce ones that go against the time they were written and uh, just having something to say. And I think, and especially then with like, with Hedda, isn't it? It's that kind of, again, the kind of flaws or what I guess society and most people would say is a bit of a flawed uh, personality. But it might just be you're just not that easy to read. You know, you're not that you don't make that much sense. And I think that is fine. You don't have to be that A4 to kind of, you know, be interesting. Because actually, in a way, that is even more interesting, isn't it? When there's, oh, I didn't expect that from you. Or, oh, that's a bit. Oh, wow. Why would you do that? Like, (laughs) yeah, actually, that's fun. Let's delve into those questions. And and isn't
0: that the sign of a sort of great storytelling, great playwriting Mm. is the characters are complex. Yeah. Uh, And and although that can feel very infuriating and difficult sometimes in the process of rehearsing it, you sort of go, but I've just worked out who they are on this thought. And then the next thought, there's someone entirely different. And you sort of go, well, yeah, because humans are, we are complex, Mm. we're contradictory of ourselves. Mm. um and so in a way you kind of go well that's the challenge isn't it? that's the task trying to work out mm-hmm. who this person you're playing is and understanding that at times they will be deeply contradictory of the thing they've just done um yeah. hypocritical you know and uh, of, of themselves um yeah that that's what i love about the early modern um not all but a lot of the female roles that you get there's mm. there's just a complexity about it and yeah. let's embrace that let's bring that to the front
2: because i think it's that time as well where it's um where the writers, well at least with Ibsen and that's what makes Agnes uh, living like so cool because it's like he's a rock star that's how we would like he can be described a noise like rock star of his time because he would the way he would write these ladies it's it's almost as well it's not almost they're realizing the things that women are maybe starting to question themselves but maybe not saying out loud so with Nora, for example, and then asking, well, actually, I should be able to have a job. I should be able to be independent because I made like I kept safe during this time. And now it seems like a bad idea. But that wasn't an issue before. Like it's starting to question, wait, why am I the bad guy here when I've actually not really done anything wrong? I've just been strong and made some really tough decisions I have had to make. For my family's sake i did it all for other people but still somehow i'm being judged Mm. and i think that was an important time to kind of start snowballing these questions that yeah women i mean unfortunately are still asking but i think it's always important questions you know question your surroundings and your the world around you if it doesn't make sense i mean Ready as well for to some, like, oh, it makes sense because they And if you agree, then fantastic. <laughs> but questions don't stop, like, yeah, questioning things. I think.
0: Well, it sounds to me like there's a whole series of roles there. <laughs> <laughs> so there we are, the the the, the strong woman season, and uh, Ingvild will be sure. starring in all of them. Um, <laughs> the Ingvild <laughs> season. The Ingvild <laughs> season. <gasps> the Ing the Ing season. Yeah. Oh the warrior. It's just right. It's the Warrior of Life season. I love it. Okay, right. Well, I'll get Maybe. working on that now. Then, um, <laughs> while I get working on that, it's uh, time to head over to Gavin for the sixty six oh. challenge. Stand by.
1: Hello, Engvild.
0: Hello.
1: Hi. Are you ready?
2: I'm very excited. Yes. <laughs>
1: so I believe you've listened to the podcast before, so you know how this goes. But just, mm-hmm. just, just so we're clear, I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions, and I'm going to ask them as quickly as I can. And the idea is that you answer them as quickly as you can, so that we can beat the uh, the the top of the leaderboard at the moment. So Fred mm-hmm. Thomas from Macbeth is currently on nineteen. He got 19 <laughs> in 60 seconds. So yeah. what he did was he just didn't think and he just fired out his answers as quickly as possible. So I'm going to try and work together with you to get yeah. 19 or more here. So you uh, could say so his answers can... aren't very reliable, actually. <laughs> and just and Unfortunately, just un- un- unlike our rehearsal process, this, this process is not about truth. It's not about the <laughs> words. It's just about getting something so on paper. Saying, just keep saying Ibsen. then is probably the <laughs> to do it anyway um as we go we're gonna have a 60 second countdown that you'll be able to see on the screen uh, ricky is going to uh have the horn of destiny in front of us as seen here <laughs> um and heard here so that'll tell us that we've come to our 60 second limit uh we'll take your final answer and then we'll add up your score engvild i'm gonna mm-hmm. get our clock up are you ready, Ingvild? Yes. Ricky, are you ready? <laughs> 60 seconds on the clock. Here we go. Ingvild, what was your favourite subject in school? Math. <laughs> if you were given the chance to explore the oceans, go to outer space or visit 50 countries, which would you choose?
2: 50 countries.
1: Beer or wine? Wine. If you had to eat one thing every day, for every meal, what, what would you eat?
2: Sushi.
1: If you didn't have to sleep, what would you do with your extra time? Run. What's your favorite word? Run. Too hot or too cold? Too hot. What's your party trick?
2: Oh, uh, card trick. Magic.
1: What? What was your first job? The waitress. What qualities do you value in people do you spend time with?
2: Uh, communication.
1: If you could win an Olympic medal for any sport, real or fake, what would it be? Sprinting. Horror or romance?
2: Horror.
1: What's your favorite book?
2: Harry Potter.
1: (laughs) If you could change your name, what would it be? Ingvild. Sweet or savoury? Savoury. What are you currently reading?
2: Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine.
1: (laughs) And there we go. That's our 60 seconds up. (laughs)
2: Okay,
1: Ingvild. So. How many do you think you got uh, in 60 seconds?
2: I don't know. 15? (laughs) You think you got
1: 15? Well, you got 16. So you did better than you thought you did. (laughs) You did better than I thought I did. (laughs) You're at the top end of the leaderboard. So I think uh, from memory, you are uh, third equal. You're third equal. So uh, well done. Yeah, well done. It wasn't 19, but it was certainly close. Certainly close. (laughs)
0: Oh, that was a weird sort of backhanded compliment. Yeah, <laughs> all right, Gavin, I get it.
2: Well, at least it's better than you thought.
0: <laughs> New thing I'll tell everyone. <laughs> yeah, I'll get a badge printed up. I did better than I thought. Lie me, I Well done. Absolutely. Well, our uh, massive thanks for uh, Ingvild for joining for us today. And and uh, it's been great to catch up. Great to see the jungle that you're living in. Obviously, listeners can't uh, see the incredible houseplants <laughs> that Ingvild's immersed in. Uh, totally loving the vibe, the green vibe. Uh, it's been fantastic to, to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining
2: us. Yeah, it's been lovely. Thanks, guys.
0: Well, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another Spotlight On podcast. Until then, find out how you can get creative and get involved with our year of exploration by checking out our Facebook page, our Twitter profile, which is at Lazarus Theatre. And there's lots of bits and bobs on our Instagram uh, at Lazarus Theatre also. All the details can be found on our website, which is www.lazarustheatre.com. I've been Ricky Dukes.
1: And I've been Gavin Harrington
0: at Idra. Until next time, stay safe and stay well. Bye.
1: Lazarus Theatre Company is a not-for-profit organisation that relies on the generous support of our friends, angels and principal supporters. If you wish to support this podcast or any of the work Lazarus Theatre Company is doing, you can visit the Lazarus Supporters page on our website, lazarustheatre.com forward slash lazarus hyphen supporters, or you can send any amount to paypal.me forward slash lazarustheatre. Every bit counts.
0: You have been listening to the Spotlight On podcast hosted by Ricky Dukes and Gavin Harrington-Odedra, produced by Lazarus Theatre Company. The music you've been listening to is composed by Bobby Locke and is from our 2016-2017 production of the Caucasian Chalk Circle by Bert Albrecht.